The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are God's. And all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Okay, we are in Numbers chapter 6, where we've got, uh, I think, 27 verses in the chapter. We're going to read 1 through 21 today. Numbers chapter 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother for his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering but the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. 
Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated head. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation, and besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. Two separate and distinct subjects are detailed in the 27 verses of chapter 6, separation and blessing, and yet they're also united in thought. The first deals with separation to God through the Nazarite vow. The second deals with the separation of the people, Israel, from among the people of the world through a unique and peculiar blessing. Separation and division is a logical part of the way God works. The Lord separated the nations of the world according to his design. Israel is separated from the world's people. Levi is separated from among Israel. The priests are separated from their brothers in the tribe of Levi. Nazarites are separated for special service, and so on. It is too often, and with a total lack of clarity, that we see separation as a bad thing. The people of the world have looked at the Jews as abhorrent because they have kept themselves separate from the nations. That was seen in the words of Haman in the book of Esther, if you remember that. And it has been seen among the people of the world ever since. The church is divided in 10,000 ways, and yet it has been a force not for evil, but for good. Though there is one true invisible church, if there were but one true and visible church, the people would follow its path no matter how abhorrent it was. That has actually been seen in major denominations time and time again. It was also seen in the Old Testament system in Israel. It is the division within the church which has maintained the integrity of the church. Like the motto for the United States, the true church is e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Our text verse comes from Amos chapter 2. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Like the world, which is trying to break down borders, unite as one, and remove all obstacles to complete control, there are those who are attempting to do the same within the church. The World Council of Churches is one such example. There is a fundamental problem with this, both on a national level and on a spiritual church-related level. With such breaking down of barriers, there will inevitably be a top-down control of all others. It is the inescapable outcome of removing set divisions. Those who resist these changes are the ones who will be reckoned as wrongdoers. Israel will never give up her Jewishness. True churches will never yield to an apostate body. Division is good, and it serves a purpose. And although the Lord is not divided in the sense of goals or purpose— there is a distinction between the members of the Godhead. This is the mystery of the Trinity. One God, three persons. 
Along with the separation of the Nazarites to the Lord, chapter 27 gives us a taste of the unique nature of God himself. Unfortunately, we will only be able to complete the first section of the chapter today, that of the Nazarite vow. It was an important part of the life of Israel, but unfortunately, the people abused those guidelines, caused their Nazarites to break their vows, and that surely brought on them a curse. The separation of the people, Israel, and the separation of the Nazarites within the people during their time of vow were intended to highlight the holiness of God. But God also remained separate from them because of their fallen nature. The law was born of an imperfect priesthood filled with fallible men. God allowed these things in order to bring about the coming of his son to fulfill this very same law and bring about a new type of separation and a new type of oneness which comes with a much more perfect blessing. This is the marvel of what God has done. He has brought forth a branch of righteousness and a perfect, pure, and undefiled vine out of a system administered through fallible people. Today, we will see the first half of this chapter's equation, that of separation. Next week, we will see the second half, that of blessing. In these, you will learn a great deal about the working of God, both for Israel and in Christ. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is the vow of the Nazarite. It's verses 1 through 12. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Maintaining purity of the camp and sanctity among the people was highlighted in chapter 5. There was the command to move all of the defiled people out of the camp. Then there was the idea of confession and restitution concerning guilt. After that came the law of the bitter water, the holy polygraph, for those possibly unfaithful wives. Each of these held to the idea of maintaining both physical and spiritual purity. Moses is now directed in a unique aspect of Israelite life, that of a particular type of vow of consecration to the Lord. This is not a command, but rather an instruction for those who so make the vow. Though not a command to perform the rite, it includes commands for the performance of it. If you don't understand what I'm saying, it's not a command that you have to go in the U.S. military. But once you're in the U.S. military, you get a lot of commands thrown at you. The same idea is here. This is seen with the very next words. Verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, what is submitted to Moses by the Lord is for the people of Israel. It is something which is limited to them alone and not intended for any who have not joined to the people. Thus, no stranger or foreigner among them can be included in what is now presented. Verse 2 continues, when either a man or a woman. This is actually a rather remarkable allowance. Almost all matters of law and society are directed specifically to males. Further, it's a stark contrast to the law of the bitter water, which was just seen in chapter 5. That was a law directed for the benefit of the males when a spirit of jealousy came upon them. However, what is now to be presented is actually highlighted and receives a special dignity because it is available to both man and woman. The only time this would not come into effect for a woman is if her father or her husband, under whose authority she was, negated the vow. Other than that, it is something a woman could participate in. This begins to be seen with the next words. Verse 2 continues, consecrates an offering. Here the verb pala, or wonder, is translated as consecrates. It was translated as miracle in relation to God's workings in Egypt. 
The idea is that as a wonder or a miracle is something out of the normal, so a vow is something also out of the normal. It is above and it is beyond what is considered regular. Even today, when someone does something above and beyond, we will proclaim, well, isn't that wonderful? This carries the idea being conveyed here. Verse 2 continues, to take the vow of a Nazarite. The word is Nazir. It is not the same as Nazarene, meaning someone from Nazareth. What will be presented is not a marker of identification with the Lord Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Though he is separated to God in a unique way, it will be seen that it is not as a Nazarite mentioned here. We know this based on the restrictions to be imposed upon them, none of which applied to him. Rather, the word comes from the verb nazar, or to separate. Thus, it signifies separation or consecration. It was used to describe Joseph who was separated or distinguished above his brothers. Joseph was a type of Christ, but he was not a Nazarite. And so the word goes so far, but no further. It was also used concerning the untrimmed vines during the Sabbath year observances in Israel. Being untrimmed, they would have a special appearance reflecting their consecrated status. As I said, it is true that Christ was separated among his brothers, like Joseph, but the intent of the Nazarite vow, which is explained here, has nothing to do with the life and conduct of Jesus Christ. It needs to be noted that though this is a voluntary separation, there are instances where, by divine revelation, some people were devoted to the Lord throughout their entire lives. This was the case with Samson, and it was the case with John the Baptist. Samuel was devoted by his mother as well, so all three would be considered Nazarites forever. Verse 2 continues, to separate himself to the Lord, le hazir le Yehovah, to separate to Yehovah. The meaning of the Nazir finds its explanation in these words, where the verb Nazar is used. The person is consecrated to the Lord, thus the Nazir is one who is consecrated. Verse 3, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. Miyayin veshachar, from wine and blinko drink. A Nazarite was to be wholly kept from drinks containing alcohol, be they wine or be they something of a very high potency. In this, we see a stricter demand on the individual than even on the priests. They were only forbidden from drinking during the times of service in the tent of meeting. In this, we also see a standard which was not imposed on Jesus, who both made and drank wine. Thus, we can see that the term Nazarene in Matthew 2, verse 23, is not referring to Nazarites in Numbers. However, the separation goes further. Verse 3 continues, He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine, nor vinegar made from similar drink. Here is a new word, chometz, or vinegar. It comes from chametz, or the verb meaning to leaven, and thus it signifies to ferment. The Nazarite is prohibited from vinegar made from either wine or blinko drink. Fermentation is a type of corruption, and thus the symbolism is that of purity and incorruption. Somebody's asking, what is Blinko drink? Blinko drink means really strong. You go blinking out. Okay, that's Blinko drink. Verse 3 continues, Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. Here's a word found only this once in the Bible, Mishra, or liquor. It is from a word which gives the sense of loosening, and thus it is steeped juice, it is a liquor made from anavim or grapes. The Nazarite is forbidden from any such drink. Along with this, he or she is not to eat any grapes, period, 
either fresh or dried. And to ensure that there is no confusion, the words continue. Verse 4, all the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Two more unique words are found here. The first is chartzanim, or seed. It is from the word charatz, meaning to point sharply, as if wounding someone. Thus, it signifies the sharp, bitter taste which comes from the seed. When you bite on a grape seed, you know that it's very bitter. That's what's being pictured here. The second is the word zag, or skin. It is that which encloses the grape, and thus it is its skin. One must wonder on these prohibitions. The avoidance of all sorts of intoxicating drinks seems to make sense. But to be kept from grapes or even the products of grapes seems to have no meaning. However, the vine produces grapes, and grapes produce an effect. Deuteronomy 32 speaks of all three, the gefen or vine, the anav or grape, and yayin or wine in relation to the people of Israel. Here's what it says, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine, the Gephen, is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes or their anav are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine or yain is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. The effect of the vine, grape, and wine can be positive or it can be negative. As the Nazarite is dedicated solely to the Lord, meaning the true vine, as he calls himself in John 15 verse 1, during their consecration, they are to be freed from any such external influence. We're not told what the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden was, but guess what? The effects of the fruit of the vine would place it as a very good candidate. Christ's first miraculous sign was to make wine, resulting in good. Mystery Babylon has a cup filled with the wine of her fornication, a cup of evil. Following the symbolism of the vine, the grape, and wine throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it becomes clear why this strong prohibition was made. The Nazarite is dedicated to the Lord, and thus the only effect for him is to be that which the Lord himself determines. As a side note concerning this, Samson's mother was given this same prohibition during her pregnancy. That is found in Judges 13, verse 7. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. The consecration was not for her, but for her son. Thus we have another of the numerous verses in Scripture which indicate that from conception itself, humanity of the child in the womb is indicated. The child is reckoned as a person from that moment. If you don't feel like voting this election cycle, you are only harming your interaction with the Lord because the Lord sees people as human beings even in the womb. Now I'm talking about the issue of abortion which comes up every two years in this nation. Go out and do your, your responsible duty. Verse 5, all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Here is a new and a frightening word for people like me, the ta'ar or razor. It is also a sheaf for a knife. Thus it is that which makes bare or is bare. The Nazarite was to never use a razor upon his head. 
This was to be the case. Verse 5 continues, until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. The hair on the head was to be a marker of distinction, indicating the Nazarite's separation to the Lord. In this, he was considered kadosh, or holy. Verse 5 continues, Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. A new and rare word is found here, para, or locks. It is the hair of the head which is expected to grow just as the vine of the Sabbath year was to be left untended, unkempt, and uncut. This lengthy, unwieldy hair was to be that marker of holiness and separation to the Lord. And there's a reason for this, which is tied up in the word se'ar, or hair. We went through this last week. I'm going to repeat some of the same thought again this week. In the Bible, hair signifies awareness. The hairy goat used as the sin offering is known as sa'ir. It was given as an awareness of sin. Esau was born hairy, while Jacob, the son of promise, was smooth-skinned. The difference in their physical makeup was a picture of their spiritual heritage. But in order to receive the blessing, Jacob needed to emulate his hairy older brother. That was a picture of Jesus. The sinless son of God took on the form of Adam in order to retrieve the blessing for us that Adam had lost. Here the Nazarite's hair was a reminder of the vow of separation to the Lord. His awareness of that fact. Verse 6, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. This is now a third marker of the separation. The Nazarite was to never, under any circumstances, be near a dead body. To do so would render him or her unclean according to Levitical law. This prohibition would include entering a room where a corpse was, attending a funeral, and so on. Death is the final result of sin. Because of this, the one separated to the Lord was not to be defiled by the consequences of human death. The Nazarite was deemed as holy, but the unholiness of being near death would defile. Verse 7, he shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die. The prohibition here raises the separation of the Nazarite to at least the level of the high priest. He was also instructed to not go near any dead body, including his father or his mother. The Nazarite is told this, but even further, the prohibition extends to both brother and sister. The strictness of the prohibition concerning drinking was greater than the priests. The priests were not restricted from the produce of the vine at all times, and only the high priest was restricted from being near a dead body. The separation of the Nazarite is therefore much more specific than even the priests. Verse 7 continues, because his separation to God is on his head. The hair is considered as a crown of separation. It is literally that which marks the separation, just as Samson's hair is what separated him to the Lord. When the hair was cut, he no longer possessed the power which came with the hair. Verse 8, all the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. The three markers of his separation, prohibition from alcoholic drinks and anything from the vine, the hair of the head, and being kept from defilement because of a dead person, all look to an unfallen life which was actually seen in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. The source of the knowledge of good and evil was kept away from. There was no awareness of wrongdoing, and there was no death. The Nazarite is wholly dedicated to the Lord. Thus, in the fullest sense, these physical aspects of the Nazarite spiritually reflect one who is in Christ positionally, meaning any of you who have called on Jesus Christ, the Nazarite is reflecting you. We are not under law, the source of the knowledge of sin. That's found in Romans 3.20. We are not imputed sin. That's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. And we are granted eternal life. 
That's found in a jillion verses in the Bible. Verse 9, and if anyone dies very suddenly beside him. Here are two new words. One is the source of the other, befeta pitom, or very suddenly. The idea here is that there was absolutely no way to avoid being near the death. <laughs> Despite this, verse 9 continues, and he defiles his consecrated head. Even by accidental nearness, the head of his consecration has become defiled. As this is so, verse 9 continues, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Numbers 19 gives the details for purification from defilement by death. A seven-day period involves ritual purification. When that is complete, the offender must shave his head. Even though this was unintentional, he is still an offender against the holiness of God. Therefore, purification and atonement is required. Verse 10, then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The number eight is the number of new beginnings. Thus, it is on this day that the once defiled Nazarite will once again start the process of fulfilling the vow. The offering is actually brought to the brazen altar, but the brazen altar and the door of the tent of meeting are intricately connected in Scripture, and that's why it says the door of the tent of meeting. It is through the sacrifice that access to God is restored. And so by bringing the offering to the altar, it is an acknowledgment of this. The reason for this particular offering and its significance is detailed in Leviticus chapter 15. To spur you on to a biblically productive and spiritually healthy afternoon, you are implored to go back and watch or read that sermon once again today. Verse 11, and the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. These offerings are typical of the sacrifice of Christ and they're given in anticipation of his coming. Through them, atonement is made for him, as it says, because he sinned in regard to the corpse. You ever ask somebody, have you ever sinned? And they tell you no. You tell them, guess what? You've been around dead people. You've sinned because death is the result of sin. And we all die. So nobody can say that they're without sin. They have original sin. They've sinned a million times. They're lying about that. And they also have sinned just by being around dead folks. The lesson is that sin transfers and defiles that which is holy but holiness does not transfer the other way. It is a lesson described in Haggai chapter 2 with these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. The lesson is learned here. It is repeated elsewhere, and it should be remembered by us. Though we who are in Christ are not imputed transgressions as violations of law leading to death, we still carry defilement with us when we participate in things which are unclean. We are asked to separate ourselves from such things. Verse 11 continues, and he shall sanctify his head on that same day. This means that he will once again begin to grow his hair during a renewed separation to the Lord. His hair shall remain uncut and his actions shall be as prescribed already for the Nazarite. Verse 12, he shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Not only was atonement necessary for the sin committed, but a guilt offering is necessary as a type of payment for the days which have been lost, thus leading to a delay in the completion of the vow. 
The guilt offering is an acknowledgement of that. Holy to the Lord, set apart to him alone, with the marker of separation on his head for all to see. In this marker, his special distinction is shown. For all the days of the vow, this is how it is to be. Who would dare interfere with the vow this one has made? Who would cause him to violate his holiness? Should we be the cause of such an unholy trade? Should we his holiness purposely suppress? If such is so with a vow made by man towards his God, how much more should we be holy when we are in Christ the Lord? Shouldn't we ever conduct our lives with purity in this life we trod and faithfully abide in Christ, being obedient to his word? Our second thought today is the law of the Nazarite. It's verses 13 through 21. Verse 13, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The Nazarite vows were always considered as specific time periods by which a person was dedicated. Those who were dedicated as Nazarites from birth are not of this category. Their entire lives were given to the Lord. For those who simply made a vow of consecration, when that time ended, they were to be brought before the door of the tent of meeting, meaning to the brazen altar. Verse 14, And he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering. For the ending of the successfully completed consecration, instead of two turtle doves or two young pigeons, lambs are brought forth for the burnt and sin offerings. The requirements for a sin offering shows that even a person who was dedicated as a Nazarite was not without shortcomings which required such an offering. As a fallen son of Adam, original sin existed, and surely the conduct of the Nazarite's life, even under consecration, reflected that. Due to the small size of the sin offering and the fact that it is named after the burnt offering, it is an indication that any sin of the Nazarite was inconsequential in comparison to the faithfulness of the separation. However, the offering is still needed. It is an obvious picture that even the most faithful souls who have carried out their lives in Christ in the highest manner of integrity to the Lord still stand in need of the perfection of Jesus Christ to carry us through to the end. Think of the most holy person you know, and that person is what's being reflected right here. They still need a sin offering. They still need Jesus to get them through the door. Verse 14 continues, one ram without blemish is a peace offering. The ram of this peace offering is contrasted to the lamb of the guilt offering of verse 12. The guilt of loss of days there is now overcome by the victory of fulfilled days here. Instead of guilt, there's peace. The days of separation are accomplished without either his failure to meet them or the Lord intervening and causing them to fail, such as in the sudden death occurring near him. Thus, the peace offering acknowledges this between the two. Verse 15, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. In this, along with the previous verses, we see that five of the ordinary offerings are made by the Nazarite. A burn offering, a sin offering, a peace offering, a grain offering, and a drink offering. It is almost a festival of offerings acknowledging the accomplishment before the Lord. Unfortunately, it would take an entire sermon and maybe more to show how all of these various offerings so marvelously point to the work of Christ. But that is why we went through the book of Leviticus. For any who either miss that or who have forgotten what was taught there, they are available at the touch of your fingers to the keyboard of your internet-connected device in written, video, and audio formats. 
such as the convenience we have provided for you at the superior word. And just so you know, when my brother was visiting me yesterday, he told me he actually listens to the podcasts while he's driving around. I had no idea. He would love to be here, but he's, uh, he's instead uh, doing his thing and listening online. So there you go. Verse 16, then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. Despite being named second in verse 14, the sin offering is actually presented first with the sin atoned for. The burnt offering is then presented afterwards. Both beautifully picture the person and work of Christ. Verse 17, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. After the sin and burnt offerings come the peace offering, which is offered with the unleavened bread. Then the priest offers the grain and drink offerings as prescribed. Again, every word of each offering points to Christ in one way or another. No detail of these offerings is without its fulfillment in him. To understand what these offerings reveal is to look directly at what Jesus did in one great offering of himself for us and to God. Verse 18, then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under under the sacrifice of the peace offering. The hair reflected is uniting to the Lord in his separation. Now that this separation has come to its fulfillment, he is to shave it off and then put it not with the sacrifice of the peace offering, but under it. Thus it is not a sacrifice as so many scholars state. What seems to be the idea here is that the hair is returned to God through fire as rightly belonging to him. It is an acknowledgement that the hair is as a picture of life in the Lord. If he wanted to, he could have caused the Nazarite to be defiled at any time by a death near him. Even if unintentional, the Nazarite would have to redo the vow until it was complete. Thus, the hair of separation itself is as a crown of reward. It being cast back to the Lord then is comparable to the 24 elders in Revelation 4 verse 10, casting their crowns before the throne and saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Though the Nazarite completed his time, it was because of the Lord that he could even do so. The reward and the glory belong to him. The offering between the two is Christ, who is our peace. That's found in Romans 5 verse 1. Excuse me. Romans 5 verse 1. Verse 19. <clears throat> and the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. The peace offering is a meal of the one who makes the offering and in which a portion is taken out of it for the priest who represents the Lord. Two things are different about this peace offering than that described in Leviticus chapter 7. First, in Leviticus 7 verse 13, leavened bread was offered with the sacrifice of the peace offering. That showed that the Lord accepted the offerer despite his sin. That is not considered in this offering. The Nazarite has lived a life separated to God, and he has offered a sin offering for any infraction that may have arisen. There is no need to include leavened bread now. Secondly, in Leviticus 7 verse 34, the breast and the thigh of a peace offering were the Lord's portion. Here, the boiled shoulder of the ram is added into that. Thus, it signifies that the Lord has accepted a fuller offering from the Nazarite because he more fully gave of himself to the Lord. As an understandable idiom, he put his shoulder into the work. Verse 20, 
and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. Though the priests received the Lord's sacred portion as their own, they were first waved before the Lord. This was accomplished by the priest placing his hands under the hands of the Nazarite. The idea of the wave offering is that it is first symbolically offered to the Lord. It is waved back and forth, up and down, and side to side. It is then received back by the priest as the Lord's designated representative. The heave offering is the same. It is raised to the Lord first, just as Christ was raised on the cross. After that, it is received back by the priest. A full explanation of these things is found back in the book of Leviticus. Verse 20 continues, After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. With the vow and separation of the Nazarite being complete, his only dilemma now is whether it will be Merlot or Cabernet. Verse 21, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation and besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide. What this means is that the Nazarite was obligated to the offerings which have just been stated. They came as a part of the vow itself and they were mandatory. However, the Nazarite could also add to those offerings with whatever his status and wealth could find sufficiency to give. Verse 21 continues, According to the vow which he takes, so he must do, according to the law of his separation. What this final clause means is that he is under full obligation to the requirements of the Nazarite. His vow was not considered acceptable or complete without the completion of the offerings which were required. This, along with any other vows to God, were expected to be performed. That is why Solomon said this, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. For a person to vow, such as in the case of the Nazarite, or indeed any such noble vow, he would appear holy and exceptional to the people of Israel. Ooh, that guy's a Nazarite. He's super holy, right? However, if he failed to fulfill the responsibility of the offerings that went with this perceived laudable conduct, he would only be a fool in the eyes of the Lord. This is the law of the Nazarite. In the end, it is a custom and a system which in its core pointed to the more glorious separation of God's people because of Christ Jesus. Every detail of the rite and custom finds its true fulfillment in him. As is seen in our text verse, Israel purposely caused their Nazarites to stumble by giving them wine to drink. What is said about this is that when the vow was then annulled and any time spent was wasted, when the Nazarite went to offer his offerings, they may have been accepted by the priest, but they were not accepted by the Lord. That in itself stands as a lesson to us. Though in Christ we are not imputed sin, we still have rewards and losses being stored up in our daily lives and actions. There are times when we are drawn away to sin by others. There are times we fail to act in faith. There are also times when we actively act in disobedience. Our lives will be evaluated, and such things that are not acceptable will be burned up. We will suffer loss because of it. And so, like the Nazarite, we should endeavor to be guided by the Lord alone. We should endeavor to stay away from external influences which misdirect us from the sure and sound path on which we walk. And we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In doing this, our lives will remain acceptable, we will be free from defilement, and we shall receive the welcome words, well done, for the lives that we live here in these fallen bodies. Better, greater things lie ahead, and so let us strive to pursue better greater things now in anticipation of that. 
very quickly. We've seen how the Nazarite is separated to God. Coming to Christ, we're separated to God. We are set apart as holy. We are sanctified by the Lord. We're set apart and we're glorified by the Lord. The book of Romans says it's a done deal. They're all in the past tense. Those who called on him, he justified. Those he justified, he sanctified. Those he sanctified, he glorified. That's a a paraphrase of that verse, but it's all past tense. We are sanctified in the Lord. We are holy. But there's only one way to get to that point, and that is by calling on Jesus Christ and being accepted by God through him. He's the one that did the work. We are the ones that must receive what he has done. There's no such thing as being you know, uh, selected by God, foreordained to being saved apart from your free will. That is not true. That's what Reformed theologians teach, that you don't have to call on Jesus because he does all the work for you. He's done all the work for you, but you have to call on him. You have to receive him. Don't be misled by people that say things like that. You have to actively call on the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us again and again and again. So please, if you have never asked Jesus to simply forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, to lead you on the path to the Father, which is through his shed blood. Please do it today. And you will be saved, and you will be saved eternally. That's another one. There is no such thing as losing your salvation. If you don't know that, keep paying attention during the book of Hebrews. We're doing the daily devotionals. You'll see that a hundred times in there, okay? People take verses in the book of Hebrews out of context, and they say, so you can lose your salvation. Guess what? They all are taking them out of context. You will not lose your salvation for something you've done wrong. (coughs) The Lord doesn't make mistakes when he seals you with his Holy Spirit. He gives you a guarantee, and a guarantee by the Lord is a guarantee. Okay, please call on Jesus. Now, when I said that the Nazarite had one choice after performing his duties as a Nazarite, it was either Merlot or Cabernet. Every day that I practice that, I was thinking of Jay here. He's a, he's a venter. He makes wine. He, he uh, makes Cabernet in his little, uh, whatever you call it, uh, brewery. Thank you. It's not a brewery. Winery. Thank you. Winery. Yeah. Brewery is beer. Anyway, I, I kept thinking of Jay the whole time. There he is. Oh, boy. All right. I got a closing verse here for you from Numbers chapter 23. It's verses 8 and 9. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Think of the Nazarite, think of us. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Next week is number 6, 22 through 27. It's six verses. It'll go pretty quickly. Does the Lord wish the best for his people? Surely, there is no need for guessing. It's entitled, The High Priestly Blessing. That'll be your 12th number sermon. The Lord, if anybody can say that high priestly blessing in Hebrew right now, I'll give him a thousand dollars. Anybody? No. Okay. You had your chance. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in the desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. Let's see if I can do it. It's been a long time since I did that. Yeberechecha Adonai veyishmerecha Yaer Adonai panav eliecha vikunecha Yisa Adonai panav eliecha veyasem lecha shalom Hey, I did it. It's been a while. Our poem today is called, yeah, yeah, clapping, clapping, clapping. (laughs) The vow of the Nazarite is our poem today. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the words he was then relaying. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, whether either a man or a woman, according to this word, consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, 
He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink too. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. Such things he shall not do. All the days of his separation therein, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Thus it shall be so until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, according to my word. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. So I have now said for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. Thus shall it be, according to my word. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, as to you I submit, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, so he shall do this thing. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, as to you I say, and make atonement for him, because he sinned in regard to the corpse, and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation, and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because of his separation." was defiled by the occurrence of this thing. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite, and so to the people, these words you shall be repeating. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, so he shall do. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering too. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil also, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings, it shall be so. The priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering as I have said, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer its grain offering and its drink offering, such shall be the required proffering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, so he shall do this thing, and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer too, and put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair, so he shall do. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord, they are holy for the priest, as to you I say, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering too. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. He is no longer restricted from the fruit of the vine. This is the law of the Nazarite among the nation who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever his hand is able to provide according to his station, according to the vow which he takes, so must he do according to the law of his separation. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it and to our lives daily it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. 
Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we certainly thank you for the many blessings that you've blessed us with. Thank you that we are set apart as holy because of the shed blood of Christ. And we don't have to go through rituals and all kinds of things in order for that to happen. They were all accomplished by you. Every sacrifice, every offering is a picture of what you've already done for us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the chance to be in your presence for all of eternity, knowing that it is only by grace through faith because of belief in the shed blood of Christ. What a, what a bargain it is for us. So we receive that, we accept it, and we look for a wonderful eternity, always praising you for what you've done. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord. And so in his beautiful name we pray, amen. So the drinking of the wine was just a one-time thing for him. Uh, they could never drink while they were under the vow. Right. Never. But they had that one opportunity at the end of the... Oh, no. They were free from that point on to drink more wine. Oh, yes. After that, they, they were just regular people again. Oh, this was so just a separation. Right? What's that? So they weren't. They didn't, they didn't. After they cut their hair and burned it... They were done. They were done. They were done. They were done. Okay. And now they can start just living their regular life okay. again. Paul did one of these. He, you know, in Acts, remember, yeah. he did a vow. And anyway, so, and he paid somebody else's vows. to Anyway, so yeah. he, uh, he uh, the Nazarite vow was only during a uh, set time. And then after that, they were free. They were and they could just drink all they wanted, you know, Merlot or Cabernet or whatever <laughs> other types of wines there were. 